0: Welcome to the Sojourn College podcast where we engage in God's word in a way that transforms us. And today we are continuing our series on doctrine uh, by discussing the doctrine of salvation. Normally salvation is looked at as a two-part process, right? Someone is not saved, they're active in their non-belief, and then they hear the gospel and they become saved. Not saved, saved, period. Uh, But there are so many more things happening throughout this process of salvation, right? And many of these things are happening at the same time or in close succession. uh, And some of them appear to happen uh, way beforehand and some throughout uh, the rest of the believers' lives. And so I I wanna take you through these movements and I wanna express that, hey, I'm not pushing a strict order of events here uh, in some cases, uh, but I I wanna lay out, hey, what does uh, salvation entail? right? What is God doing in the process of salvation? Okay. And I'm going to kick this off here. The first thing I want to talk about is election. Okay. Election is an act of God before creation in in which he chooses some to be saved, not on account for any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. All right. And uh, so we see this in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace that he has lavished on us in the beloved one. Right. And so we see that. Right. He, he chose us before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons through Jesus. So I don't want us to miss this is that he chose us, but he chose us to be in Christ, to be adopted as sons. Right. And so some key tenets here are, hey, God is sovereign. Right. And his election is sovereign in eternity past. And from his grace in Christ, God has chosen certain people to be saved. And in time, God grants saving grace and faith to the elect alone, right? And so election precedes and results in the mighty acts of God in salvation, okay? And so uh, we we see the next thing, calling. That's what I wanna talk about. We see this in in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and it says this, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so God is saying, hey, those people I elected, I chose, I also called them, right? But everyone he predestined, he he calls, and everyone he calls was justified, right? They were made right before God. And so when does this happen? When are we called, okay? And um, the effective calling it is an act of God that's done when the gospel is proclaimed. Right? And when the gospel is proclaimed, he summons people to himself um, in a way that they respond in saving faith. Okay? And so it happens through the preaching of the gospel. So gospel uses humans or God uses humans in his salvation process Right, as the spirit is at work. And the response to this is by repentance and faith. So what about those who hear the gospel and don't respond in faith? Were they called? And I would say, no, they weren't called or God has not uh, in his sovereign will um, uh, predestined them to to respond in that moment to that call, right? Um, Because everyone he calls believes, all right? And then the next thing we we, want to talk about is regeneration. Regeneration is a totally instantaneous act of God. He enables a, a hard, depraved, unrepentant, faithless heart to place faith in the truth of the gospel. The spirit works in us and gives us a new nature that is responsive to God, right? And, and the view that i affirm is that regeneration happens prior to conversion. So that's to say that your repentance and faith in the gospel is made possible by regeneration rather than your new birth being made possible by your repentance and faith, right? And so I hold that in our sinful nature, we cannot have a real faith in God. So he must give us, give me a rebirth of a spiritual nature first, okay? And and regeneration is mysterious, right? We don't really know exactly the precise moment when it happens uh, or, or how exactly it happens, but only that it does. God regenerates our hearts. He he gives us a new birth, okay? And conversion is the next part I want to talk about. And this is the human response to that call of the gospel in repentance and faith, okay? And when we commit to forsake our sin and trust in the risen Christ, that is conversion, okay? But conversion must include both of those parts, repentance and belief, okay? Not just one or the other. And uh, typically, this is the only facet of salvation that we talk about. Uh, when we ask someone to share their story or their testimony, uh, essentially, we're, we're asking them to share their lives before and after this hinge point of conversion, okay? Um, it's a good reminder that, that though conversion is a human response, right? Repent and belief. It is only made possible by God's grace and love for his people, okay? And through all of this, I don't want us to miss the fact that Jesus, uh, Jesus' says work on the cross is a vital for all of these things to take place. And God is working in all of these things to save, uh, to save us, okay? Justification is a word we talk about a lot. Uh, justification has two parts. There's this forgiveness of sins. So someone is declaring you not guilty. Right? And then there's the imputation, kind of a big word, an imputation of perfect righteousness. Okay? Uh, in other words, uh, we are being declared righteous. All right? We are receiving Christ's righteousness. And so we have to remember that we are all guilty of sin. Okay. So we deserve an eternity in hell apart from God as punishment for our sins. But God chose to justify the people that he had chosen. And so he sent Jesus to take our punishment on the cross. Right. So Jesus took has taken the father's wrath so that those who believe can be counted as righteous. So so those that believe, we can say, hey, that punishment was paid. God counts it as time served. So there's no more debt owed. We've been forgiven. But it's more than that. That righteousness that Jesus had and, and demonstrated in his life on earth, God is declaring that we now have that righteousness attributed to us. Notice that he doesn't, that it doesn't make us actually righteous, right? Like we aren't actually righteous uh, be, because of this, because of our justification, but that righteousness has been attributed to us. We we, we now are considered righteous by God. and uh, And it's been called before by some great theologians, a sweet exchange. Right. Uh, Jesus is is exchanging his righteousness for our sin and on the cross. That's exactly what Jesus does. Okay, And we receive this through faith. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says, for our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, not by our works, but through this gift of God. And we also are adopted, right? Adoption is this mighty act of God to take sinful people, people who were enemies, who, who, who are alienated and separated from God, and he incorporates us as beloved children into his family forever. And so there's two aspects of this. There's this legal adoption, right? So we aren't just some, somebody else's children, you know, uh, children who are born of man. But now we become children who are born of God himself. Like we are God's children. There's this legal adoption. But there's also a real relational aspect of this where um God is now our relational father right our father is now in heaven and we can relate in uh, with him right we, we can respond to him as father Galatians 4:4 4, 4 says this when the time came to completion God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it goes on and it says, And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, God has made you an heir. Do you hear that relationship? Abba is this is this deeply uh, this deeply relational word like daddy. Daddy. Our hearts are crying out to him. And now he has made us an heir, right? We have an inheritance because of what Jesus has done, because of what God is doing in salvation. Okay, and then there's sanctification. And specifically, progressive sanctification. It's a cooperative work between God and Christians by which there's an ongoing transformation into a greater Christ likeness. Okay, so this is a synergistic work. There's two people working in this there's God who's working, right? And then there's man, there's humans who are working and we see this going on in Philippians 2. So verse 12 says, "Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in the presence but but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." For it is God, and so you see that that transition, right? Work out your own salvation. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose, and, and there's this thing where, hey, we're walking this out, but but there's a, um, there, there's a synergism here, right? Man is walking this out, and so is God. He's given us the will and the ability to work this out for his good purpose. And so we become more and more like Christ, and this happens by the Spirit through God's word and in community. And so, of course, sanctification has some other meanings, right? That there's a positional sanctification where we are set apart as God's people. And and, and then there's like a, a perfected sanctification where uh, at, at, at the end, when it's all said and done, we will be perfect just like Christ. Okay. But we won't become perfect just like Christ completely sanctified until the return of Jesus, Okay, but this progressive sanctification—this uh, uh, happens by us yielding to God and His Spirit, okay—and by obeying Scripture, by praying, by confessing, by resisting Satan, fleeing temptation, putting to death sinful tendencies. Okay, so so the Spirit of God partners with us and transforms us through these means of grace. We are sanctified. And this is ongoing throughout the rest of our lives. right? And then the final thing I want to talk about today is perseverance. This is the mighty act of God to preserve Christians by his power through their ongoing faith until their salvation is complete. We see this all throughout scripture, right? Um, one place we see it is back in Romans 8. Uh, Verse 29 says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called those he called, he justified and those he justified, he glorified. And so he is promising that those he chose and those he calls, they will all um, they will all be glorified. And so he is guaranteeing that the end will come for those right that that will be finished that God will finish this work of salvation. It's promised to us. Um, In John 10, we see the same thing. Uh, Verse 27, he says, uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my hand, right? He's guaranteeing that, that, that his people will remain in him, with him, okay? And this is not to, to say that once you affirm that you believe that you can live however you want and you would still persevere, right? But no, God is present through through the working, through all of these parts of salvation. But First John says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him, known him. And so for those who just live however they want to live and Jesus is not Lord, then Jesus isn't Lord, right? They don't abide in Christ. And that brings me to this last point, which is unification with Christ. All of these aspects of salvation, these blessings of salvation happen in Christ. This is the mighty work of God to join his people in an eternal covenant with his son. Because we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. We we can actually communicate and relate to the Father. We are united with other believers. We we are united in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. Truly, all of these blessings of salvation are received because we are in Christ. And, And because we're in Christ, we can be assured of our perseverance. All right? And so, Man, th- there was a whole lot here. Um, I-, I know, but I, I just wanted to um, let you know of some of the aspects of salvation. It- it's such a big deal. what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and, and it's really been spanning since before uh, uh, the beginning of time. Uh, God has-, has planned to save you, okay, to save those who who believe. right? This is the plan of God. And, and how should we apply this today? And I think that's simple. And it's this, worship God because of how he has blessed you with salvation from election to perseverance. Worship God. Reflect on all of these different things um, in your time with him today. I also wanna give a shout out to, uh, to Dr. Greg Allison uh, for his book, 50 Core Truths of Christian Faith. Um, it it has been super helpful in reflecting on these things and also, um, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And so if you're looking for a resource to learn more about these different doctrines, that's a place to go. Okay. So hopefully this has been helpful for you. Um, it has been for me in reflecting on these things. We will see you next week as we continue our series.